Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through uh, 27. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning. As in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who, wait, who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we'll stop right there. We have come to the end of our Apostles' Creed series. It is fitting for us at the end of this series to talk about the end of the Apostles' Creed, which talks about the end, the end of of a time, the end of human history as we think of it now. Now, when most people think about the end or the end of time, what do you think most people think of? Well, if you thought heaven, I, I would agree with you. I think most people think heaven when they think of the end of time. Or they'll think of it in terms of whatever is kind of culturally or linguistically or maybe according to their religious views. What is what is kind of the equivalence of heaven? Um uh, some state of nirvana or some some spiritual place where souls of of people go you know after after we die but for for Christians we often think well heaven that's that's what happens at the end but the bible actually says that heaven you know, where our souls go when our physical bodies die that is not the end that is not the final chapter of the story isn't that interesting? Heaven is not the end. What is? What is the end? So as we've done in this series, uh, let us stand up together. We're going to recite the Apostles' Creed together. The words of the Creed will be on the screens. We've been using a, um, a rendering of the Apostles' Creed found in our denomination's uh, book of confessions. So not book of confessions, a little, well, yeah, kind of a book of confessions. So... <laughs> Here it is. Let's say this together out loud. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, 
who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And please be seated. The end of the story is the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. So what is the resurrection of the body? And what does it mean for us in the end? So looking at Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at three groans that we see in that scripture and what they tell us about the end. Um, so the first groan is, is we groan. Yeah, if, you, if this is your first time to hope, we have this little note sheet for you in the, in the bulletin. And those of you who've been coming for a while, you know, well, this is kind of, it's kind of thin on fill-ins. If you don't like fill-ins, today is your day. You got three with lots of extra space in the middle. You can write down whatever you want to. You can, you can draw a picture. Um, if you're a kid, you might want to draw a picture of what you think, I don't know, the resurrection of your body is going to look like. Just use that space however you want to today. But that first fill-in is we groan. We are groaning. Why? Well, Paul talks about suffering in this passage. Suffering in life. There's great suffering in in, in life. And and Paul is encouraging these Christians in Rome in, in their suffering. And this suffering is not light. It wasn't for Paul. If you know about the Apostle Paul, you know he was beaten at times. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I think I might have gotten in like one fight when I was a kid. I might have gotten beaten, I don't know, but it doesn't happen very often in my life. Paul was beaten as an adult and multiple times. Like, um, He was thrown into prison. He uh, was near death at times. There were some times for Paul when he didn't know when the next meal was going to be or how it was going to come. I mean, he had some pretty intense sufferings. Paul says, our sufferings, as bad as they can seem, they aren't worth comparing with something really, really good that is, that is coming. At the same time, the suffering is real. And so we groan. We groan in the suffering. And that groan, tells us a few things. One, that groan tells us that, that, that we await something better, that something better is real. If, that, if it weren't real, if we, if we didn't know that um, things aren't as they should be and they aren't nearly as good as they could be, I don't think we'd groan. If, if we just kind of didn't experience a great life, but we didn't, we didn't know that something out in the future is, is, is out there for us. I don't think we'd groan. We might just kind of be stuck in depression. We might, be just, we might get bitter. Um, we might become stoic. We, we, we might say, well, that's you know, just kind of the way it is. You suffer. You know? But people tend not to live like that, right? I mean, very few people 
um, when they see someone else going through intense physical suffering, a body that is, you know, is cancer or just kind of beaten, it's, is, is deteriorating. Very few people would tell that person, well, you know, kind of easy come, easy go. It's your lot in life. We don't live like that, do we? We groan because we, we know something better is out there. At least we hope something better is out there. So it tells us that we're waiting for we're waiting for something. These groans in us, it's this deep yearning. Our groans tell us another thing. Our groans tell us that this world now, this earth that we live in, it is not a suitable home to meet our deepest needs. It could be a, a fine home at times, and there are other times when it's just not suitable for us. It's not the right. Place. Have you ever felt like that? Just kind of not the right place. Texas is great. If you're visiting from the north, like, yeah, this Texas is is pretty good, but it's still not. It's just not it. You know, it's just not it. It's not. Doesn't satisfy our deepest desires because what is our deepest desire it's 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 life that lasts it's love that lasts it's it's love not being interrupted by stuff like death this world can't provide that for us our groanings show us that our bodies are not ideal homes for us as well because because they're going to give out on us one of these days. Our bodies deteriorate. We get diseased. We get cancer. We get Alzheimer's. It's, this isn't a perfectly suitable home for us. So the world isn't all that it could be. Our bodies aren't all that they can be. And we also recognize that we, our inner life isn't all that it can be, that we can be as well. I mean, right now... Sometimes we don't see life clearly, and we do, can I say, dumb things at times, short-sighted things. We, you, know, you get in a fight with someone, maybe it's a pretty bad fight, and you just don't do anything about it. You don't, you don't try to make amends because making amends would, going through that process of forgiveness and reconciliation is too hard Sometimes we just do silly things because we're not seeing clearly in life. Our inner life isn't what it needs to be for us to do the hard thing and the right thing to reconcile. And so sometimes our inner life isn't what it should be. And we, we just groan. We make mistakes. We live with regrets. We just kind of groan. Ah, the world's not as it should be. The, our physical bodies aren't all that they can be. Our inner life isn't all that it could be. We know that about ourselves. And we just groan. What Romans chapter 8 tells us is there is actually another groaning as well. Creation groans. Creation groans. Now, this is really fascinating. I mean, do you get how creation is broken? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I'm not going to buy into this idea. Creation's kind of broken. Well, Genesis chapter 3 uses actually different language to describe this brokenness of creation. Adam and Eve sinned. God told them the consequences of their sin. And here's one thing that God said. Cursed is the ground because of, of you. 
It says through painful toil you will eat food from it. The, the, the earth is, is at sometimes going to be a painful place for us to live. That's, there's going to be toil in this, in this life. Well, why, why is there? Well, because the earth is going to produce thorns and thistles for you and other difficulties that make it just kind of hard to live here. So this kind of creation's broken because of the sin in our life. We know we had a part to play in that. It's cursed. The world behaves differently than how God originally intended it. But when God said that creation groans, it's more than just a metaphor for saying, yeah, it's a broken world we live in. The, the, the creation is groaning and it's expecting something as well. That's what verse 22 says. We know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So childbirth pains are different kinds of pains, aren't they? They come from something really, really painful, but they're also looking forward to something really, really good. And that's how the earth is groaning. It's looking forward to something really, really good. Good creation is is ready to give birth to something new, to a new creation. In fact, verse 19 says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. So these words here, eager expectation, come from this Greek word. It's a long Greek word. It's like three words put together. And those three words provide this visual picture. It's really kind of a neat visual picture of of someone standing on their tiptoe, kind of head and and neck extended out so they could see something that that might be a little bit hidden, hard to see. And so you're standing on your tiptoe and you're waiting for this, this thing to come. A few years ago, uh, my family went to the Christmas parade in Chicago. And a couple things to know about this Christmas parade. One, it's near Christmas. And so that means it's really, really cold in Chicago. Two, this Christmas parade was along uh, Michigan Avenue, a part that's known as the Magnificent Mile. And there's all these really ritzy stores around us and people everywhere. So you had to get there really early. So we got there really early to watch this parade. And it was really cold, like 32 degrees except windy. Not nice 32, but 32 with 20 miles an hour, 15 miles an hour wind, which is just not nice. And, oh, my gosh, our feet were killing us. And our kids were complaining about that. Elizabeth was sitting on my shoulders. My back was felt like it was about to explode. We were waiting out there for an hour in the cold and... And that parade starts coming in. We weren't going to waste the moment, right? We've been waiting out in the cold. So, and we weren't there in the front. There were people in front of us. So we're, we're on our tiptoes looking around so we can see this parade coming. And that's the, this visual picture of the creation waiting in eager expectation. Just, oh, it's excited about this thing that's going to come. It's looking forward to 
give way to this new creation. Romans chapter 21 tells how God says, I'm going to make all things new. God doesn't say, I'm going to make a bunch of new things. He says, I'm going to make all things that, are, that have been made I'm going to remake them. I'm going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to make them different than they are now. It's not saying I'm going to just trash everything that has, that's been made before and make a bunch of new things. No, I'm going to make all things that have already been made, I'm going to make them new. Sometimes we think of heaven as, as a place void of the physical, just some spiritual, ethereal place. We got it all wrong. Creation is looking forward to being refurbished in the end, not just discarded. So when does this happen? Verse 19 says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And and we'll probably think, okay, well, that's got to mean us somehow, right? That bolded blue stuff there, that's got to do with us. For us to be revealed to creation. What does that mean? Well, you might think, in one way, we've kind of already been revealed to creation. We've left our mark on creation. We've left our footprint. And sometimes in not so great ways. And and environmentalists would, would be the ones to kind of say, here, here, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how we have not left our footprint in a good way. We've mistreated this plant. We haven't done a good job of taking care of this plant. So it's true that there are times when the creation has not been very nice to us, and it's also true that there have been times when we haven't been very nice to creation. So that's, that's one way that we've kind of already been revealed to creation, but that is not what Paul is talking about here when he says it's waiting for the the children of God, to to be revealed. Paul talks about a different way. Verse 21 says that creation itself, there's going to be a liberation from its bondage to decay. It's trapped right now. It's, It's eroding itself. But one day, it's going to be liberated from that. And it's going to be brought into the freedom and the the glory of the children of God. So this is what Paul means when there's a moment when the children of God are going to be revealed. It's when we've received this freedom and, and, and glory. I often don't think of us receiving glory. Experiencing Christ's glory, God's glory, worshiping Him because of that. It says we're going to receive glory. And that is when we will be revealed. So, how do we receive this glory? How are we glorified? Now, when Jesus was raised from the dead, something pretty amazing happened, pretty, pretty fantastic happened. You know, when Jesus was resurrected and He was raised back to life, that's That's a great thing. That's the best thing. And he received his resurrected physical body. That's the best thing. But something else really great happened as well. Look at this 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, because it's not just Jesus' resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Let me tell you what Paul is saying. Paul is saying this, when Jesus was resurrected, it wasn't just for him, he secured for us our own resurrection, our own bodily resurrection. The the whole idea of first fruits communicates this because what are first fruits? First fruits are this this concept of when there's a harvest or when something is going to happen. The first fruits are the first part of that happening. But there's more to come, and it's more of the same thing. You don't have a first fruit of the apple crop come, and there are apples, lo and behold, and the rest comes along and they're bananas. No, you have more apples that come along, right? So Jesus' resurrection, his, his physical body that gets resurrected, that points to a future resurrection that we share in where we receive the same physical bodies that Jesus received. This is our glorification. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in this glory, in this is resurrected state ourselves, physical resurrection. Not just, not just spirits getting pulled up out somewhere other than the world we live in, this physical resurrection. That's the glory. And I want to talk about three ways real fast about how, how to think about our glory. One, in our glory, we will reign with Christ. This puts a little meat on the bones of this idea of being glorified. One, we will reign with Christ when we are glorified. Creation is just waiting. It's saying, waiting for the children of God to be revealed. Why is it waiting for the children of God to be revealed? Because we have been called to reign over the earth. Isn't that what God gave Adam and Eve the the calling to do? First of all, to, to rule over creation. Do a good job at it, Adam and Eve. Exercise dominion. Be the boss, but be the boss that the world has always dreamed of having. Be the great boss. Exercise dominion in just the best way, Adam and Eve, and they didn't do it. And we we have this calling to reign, and we're just not doing a great job of it at times. I've heard it put like this a little bit: the the the, the earth just waiting, creation waiting in expectation. It's kind of like a, a symphony orchestra, and and all the instrumentalists are on stage. Imagine up here, all the instruments, they're ready to give an amazing concert. Even if you don't like classical music, imagine this amazing concert about to happen. And and they're they're all tuned up, ready to go, ready to play. But they just sit there. Why? Why are they just sitting there? Because the conductor is in the bathroom. But he's not doing what you might expect him doing in the bathroom. He's standing in front of the mirror with his baton, and he's just kind of waving his baton, and he's 
He's just kind of stuck on himself thinking, woo, look at me, look at look at me wave this baton, how cool I am. The symphony orchestra is out here waiting, and he's just lost in the bathroom on himself. And that's us in life. We think, look at me, look at the clever things I can do with my baton a lot of times. And we're just stuck in the bathroom instead of coming out and, and directing the symphony orchestra like we are called to do. And, 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 every, and creation is just like, please come out and conduct us, and we will put on an amazing concert. Just waiting. So in glory, we will reign with Christ. Also in glory, we will be like Christ. We'll be able to do that. We'll be able to conduct that great symphony because when we're glorified, we will also receive a completely renewed inside as well. We will be as Christ-like as we possibly possibly could, could be, could ever be. We'll be able to finally do what we've been originally called to do, and that's have dominion over this world in a way that actually blesses the creation so the creation can bless us back. See, God isn't just going to give us resurrected physical bodies that's suitable for us. He's, he's going to give us this resurrected, created world that will be, ah, finally the suitable home that we've been waiting for, a real home. That will be the final chapter of the story. And we'll be able to live it out. When we say, I believe in everlasting life, that is what, we're, what we mean. Now, the emphasis there isn't just on everlasting everlasting life. And for a lot of Christians, I think they they get stuck on the everlasting part and they worry a little bit about the life part. Yeah, we know we believe in everlasting. They worry, though. But is it going to be kind of everlasting boredom? Yeah? Everlasting, yeah? Not too, not too compelling? The idea of heaven in the spiritual world or the idea of everlasting... Yeah, you know the typical images sitting on clouds? That doesn't sound all that great to me. The idea of everlasting being one with the cosmos. I mean, a lot of these not very compelling ideas out there. When we say we believe in everlasting life, we, we don't just mean everlasting. We mean a life of reigning with Christ in this renewed creation. And, and finally, in our glory, we will be with Christ. We might be able to overlook that point if we're not careful. We'll be with Christ. Well, here, let me tell you what I mean. Not just, yeah, yeah, Christ is over there and we're over here. We're kind of sharing the same renewed world, but you know, he's way over there. And we're way over here. No, we will be with God. We will be with Christ. Look at what verse 23 says. We ourselves who have this first fruit of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the resurrect, the redemption of our bodies. And you might be saying, well, this is kind of confusing because I thought we've already been adopted as God's sons and daughters. If, if, if we believe in Christ, isn't that the promise that he adopts us as his sons and daughters now? We don't have to wait for some time in the future for that to happen. It's a little confusing. I think this is what Paul is communicating, something like this, that our resurrection with new physical bodies will be such that there's not this big distance from from God. Not just physically like a spatial distance, but relationally with this distance. We're going to be really close to God. We will be 
We won't be stepsons or stepdaughters. You may be a stepson or a stepdaughter, and that's a wonderful thing. You may have wonderful stepparents, stepfather, stepmother. Um, but with God, we, we won't even be stepsons or stepdaughters. We will be real sons, real daughters, and real sons and real daughters, and not just in name only, but in relationship. As God feels towards us, oh, you are my son, you are my daughter. In other words, he will feel the same towards us as he feels towards Jesus, his son. The the inheritance that Jesus receives because the father loves him and gives it to him, we get the same inheritance because the father feels just the same about us as he feels about his son. that's, That's the sense that we will be sons and daughters. You might think of it like this. This is kind of... A little bit of a goofy illustration, but let's try it on for size. Um, Imagine being at this renewed creation and an alien shows up, lo and behold. Outside of God's creation, that's where it's a little bit kind of fuzzy, so just, just roll with it. Imagine an alien were to appear in this renewed creation and 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 this alien were to go up to God and say, Hey, where's the king? You know what God would say? God would say something like this. Uh, which one do you mean? Because, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, there's the king of kings over there. He's on his throne. But look around you, my alien friend. All, all these people you see are very much indeed kings and queens. And he probably would call you over. Let me introduce my alien friend. Put his arm around you if you can imagine that. This is my, it's my son. This is my daughter. This is, this is, you may refer to him or her as king so-and-so, queen so-and-so. So you will be relationally that close to God. Now, one thing that I hope this does, I hope it inspires you. I mean, I, I just get kind of inspired by this. I hope it inspires you. I hope it gives you power to live with this eager anticipation in a good way. Helps you get through your suffering now. Um, And I also hope that it inspires you to kind of live in this way, this way of reigning now. Because I don't know about you, sometimes I can think rather small of myself, like, oh, I just did a lousy job of that, whatever that is. Oh, I blew that one, you know? You just kind of start feeling, who am I, you know? And God says, you're a king or a queen. That's who you are. I hope this inspires you to start living in this now. You know, if you were to, if you were to find out, if you were to able to flip open the book of your life to the very last pages of it, and you were to, to find, discover something about yourself, some talent that you didn't know that you really had, like whatever it is, like, um, I'm a great artist. Well, I'm a great artist. This is what it says right here, the last chapter of my life. I'm this great artist. What, wouldn't that inspire you to do something about that now? Like, let me grab some paintbrushes now. I'm, I'm going to be a great artist. Let me start doing that right now. It doesn't, it, it doesn't make me complacent. It doesn't make me think, oh, I'll just pick that up later on sometime down the road. I just want to do it now. If you could flip open the pages of your book to the very last section and find out this Undiscovered talent in yourself. You'd be like, oh, I want to start that 
right now. Why don't we do that with us being kings and queens and start reigning right now in this way that God has called us to to live? So right now, what is what is one way you can kind of exercise your your reign, your kingship, your queenship in a good way, in a way that brings rightness to the world? What's one way right now that you can bring rightness to some arena in your life or some people in your life? That's one way we can start applying this and living into this. What's one step of reconciliation you can make with someone right now? Kind of live into your king or your queen status. That makes sense? Let's do it now. Because you have it in you. You are a king or a queen of the earth right now. Um, another thing that this could do, this reality could do, is help us to live kind of courageously with our faith. You know, there's some maybe some times where you... You just kind of hide your your Christianity in some low-level way, maybe a big way, maybe just a little low-level way where you're just not feeling too comfortable in sharing that. Well, why? Why? Or why not? Why not, why not share that? Um, and I, I suppose the reason we feel uncomfortable is we think there's going to be some kind of a, some kind of suffering in that. And there, there may be, you know, we might get rejected or someone may say, oh, you really believe in that stuff? Really? That's kind of, I thought better of you. you. You might receive that kind of suffering, but man, you're a king or a queen. You know, who cares? Seriously, who cares? Who cares about someone's thinking a little off about you? Man, you're a king or a queen. Uh, next time you, you feel like, oh, I'm just going to lay low on my faith and not really share that at the moment or express myself as a Christian. This is the thought that came to my mind. In that moment, just think, I'm going to put on my crown at this moment. I'm going to, I'm going to put on my king's crown and my queen's crown at this moment and wear it proud because that's who I am. I'm going to act the part. Anyway, just, let's act the part of kings and queens now. Now, kind of concluding is this all wishful thinking? Let's get to that. Is this, is this just kind of me feeling, feeling your minds with wishful thinking, trying to pump you up a little bit? No. Verse 26, we see that there is another groaning in Scripture. In the same way, the Spirit helps us, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The Holy Spirit groans. We groan, creation groans, the Holy Spirit groans. See, the Holy Spirit has this longing as well, this expectation of something to come. Verse 27, and he who searches our hearts. Now, who who is it that searches our hearts? Well, that's God. God is the one who searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit, and that makes sense because it's His Spirit. It's God's mind. It knows the mind of the Spirit. That makes sense. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God, and we kind of hope that to be true. I mean, we, that's what we would expect, that the Spirit wouldn't be praying in some kind of crazy way, but would be praying in line with the will of God. And the question then becomes, well, what is the will 
of God that is directing the prayers of the Holy Spirit, where do we see God's will in the Scripture? Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. So it's not like creation said, hey, let's, let's be cursed. <laughs> let's be broken. No, creation, that wasn't creation's idea. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, that's God, in hope. Wait a minute. God subjected the creation to frustration, but he did it in hope. My friends, God hopes. What does that mean? God hopes in what? That one day he would renew this world. And let me ask you, is that wishful thinking on God's part? Is that what hope means? God subjected creation to frustration in hope that one day, well, God's saying one day I hope to be able to pull this off. I hope to be able to, to bring freedom to creation, freedom to people. I hope I'll be able to do that. That's why I'm subjecting it to frustration in the first place. Might not work out. I hope this works out. Is that how God hopes? No. It shows us what biblical hope really is. It is firm and certain knowledge. When we say we hope for the resurrection of the body, your body, my body, we're not saying, boy, I hope this happens. It's kind of wishful thinking. It might happen. You know, maybe work out like this. Maybe, maybe it will be the kind of the spiritual, ethereal, kind of crazy place. No, because God hopes. He knows it's going to happen because he's planned it. He will execute it perfectly. And he says, you can have the same kind of hope that I have. You have the same kind of confidence. Like God's pretty confident in himself. Would you not agree with me? He's pretty confident of himself. And we can have that same kind of confidence in God that he has. If, if, you are, if your hope is more like wishful thinking, if you're... Your hope in God's promises is more like wishful thinking. I want to invite you. Can you just flip the switch of your mind? Just flip the switch that turns that wishful thinking. Maybe that's how you've always thought of it. Kind of wish, I hope it happens like that. Flip that switch. No, firm and certain knowledge. It will happen the way that God says it will happen. I don't have to wish or doubt. I can know. And let this give you great peace in your suffering and confidence that you are indeed a king. You are indeed a queen of God. Play that part now. Let us find great happiness now in this truly amazing final chapter of our story. Renewed heaven. Renewed earth. Renewed renewed physical bodies, finally being in our true home with God, with one another. That is life everlasting. That's life everlasting. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you've given us this hope, not the wishful thinking kind, but ah, we know, we know, we know. Lord, if anyone here has not embraced this, Help them to know they can do that right now. They can, they can receive 
you and all of your promises and know that they are true by placing their faith, their belief in, in Jesus Christ, that he is, he is King of Kings. He is your Son. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. And Lord, we don't want to live cowardly lives as Christians. We want to live bold lives and just may our kingly and queenly status, may that profoundly shape who we are on the insides. In Jesus' name, amen.